this morning, uh, yesterday, yesterday morning, and, and this morning too, as I was just sitting and God just had me meditating. And what he had me meditating on was something that pertains uh, to the unsaved and to the believer that's in Christ. And what is it like to be able to experience God's presence? What is it like to experience it? And how the enemy so much wants to keep people from being born again, from receiving Christ as their Savior, the unsaved, simply because he hates the, not only the presence of God, but, but the fact that he can't function in it. He hates others to function in it. He hates the presence of God. And then for us as believers, the way he keeps us out of his presence is through no teaching, through bad teaching, through keeping Christians full of other things and not hungering for his word. And so in that sense, he wants to keep us experientially out of the presence of God. Because what can be exchanged for the presence of God? God himself. What can be in place of him? And so as I thought of these, I was meditating on these things uh, yesterday and uh, today, this morning, all about the presence of God. And just think about what God did to himself and for us to accomplish that. And what, what we, God would have us to speak on this morning, what he wants me to speak on and, and learn uh, this morning and share is how that we already are reconciled positionally as believers. We have been. We're not in the process of being reconciled to God. And we're going to go into reconciliation this morning and some very simple Greek words. But we have been reconciled by God because we've, through receiving Christ, we've been placed in him. That's our position. Now, the enemy couldn't keep believers. He couldn't keep them, those that by grace through faith and even that not of themselves in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, they submitted their will and received Christ as their salvation. He couldn't keep them from doing that. So in that sense, in 1 John 5, 18, B, the wicked one touches us not. We've taught many times in the past that once we're in Christ positionally, even sin can't touch that relationship. But what Satan does want to do with the believer is he goes after their experience. I may be positioned in Christ. Once I'm born again, we're all positioned in Christ in every truth that pertains to his person and the work that he accomplished to God and for us is every single believer's. But do they experience what's theirs? This is what the enemy goes after. And again, I said for Christians, Christians, he'll get them occupied with every single thing under the sun so that they don't function in the presence of God. They don't experience the very satisfaction, the very deep desire of God himself that's been accomplished through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to, go, to the very joy of God as brought out in Romans 5 verse 11. 
and that we might experience that joy in his presence in Psalm 16, verse 11. So here is this word reconciliation. I'm going to read a few scriptures again because God wants to teach us these things and teach us constantly and continually to renew us in Ephesians 4, verse 23, about what we have in Christ in 4.20 of Ephesians and in and, and that process in, in Ephesians chapter 4 and how it goes into that in that chapter, those 32 verses in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. But here, I'm just going to read a few verses on reconciliation and show you the difference and God's going to show us the difference in understanding them. Because when we don't understand these particular scriptures, where it says reconciliation, then the enemy can take advantage of the believer and cause them to try and do things for God in place of what God has already done through Christ to his glory alone. And to cause the believer to get into some form of works And only works in the flesh only leads to what? Self-glory, not the glory of Christ that he's accomplished in us. In Colossians 1 and verse 27. Here is Hebrews, the second chapter. Now you can read those first 17 verses. It would do you very well and all of us to do it. Where... Again, like, again, I'm going to read Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Hebrews 2, 17 says, Wherefore, because of this, in all things it behooved him. It was absolutely everything about him to be made like unto his brethren. Again, we, God has taught us, again, like unto his brethren means he had a human nature, but He was unlike his brethren that had human natures because they had a sin nature and he never did. A lot of bad teaching even about that. To be made like unto his brethren, fulfillment of, again, Deuteronomy 18, 15, and 18, fulfilling that, a merciful and faithful high priest in things that have to do with God to make reconciliation, notice that, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And that's what he makes very, very clear here. Now, in this word, reconciliation, it's going to be different where I read it in these other verses. And boy, if I don't know the difference, and those that teach these things don't know the difference, then those that receive them from them that don't know the difference, what are they going to enter into? works. All this bad teaching. So again, I'm going to read, I'm going to read, uh, again, in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read a few different verses there in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. 2 Corinthians 5, and this is what it says here. In verse uh, verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ constrains us, holds us together as in a vice and immovable, constrains us, us those that are in Christ. That's bringing out John 10, 28 and 29. No one can take us out of his hand. That's constraint. Constrains us because we thus judge, discern, and understand that if one died for all, and he did, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, they which live, doesn't say they all live, but they that live, who re- that receive him as their Savior, should not henceforth live unto themselves. 
works, fleshly works, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now, wherefore, because of all this, from this point on, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet from this point on and from now on, we don't know him like that anymore. Because, therefore, because of this truth, if any man is in Christ, he is, they are, or let him be, is what it really says. Let him be because he is a new creature. And the reason is because when God, through Christ, reconciled, he, he didn't only reconcile us as sinners. I mean, he reconciled everything. That's what this verse is talking about. Because we even know in Job 15, 15, even the heavens weren't clean in his sight. But boy, has he reconciled everything in terms of his eternal mind, but the reality is being worked out in time, the eternal mind of God. So if any, let him be, any man is in Christ, if and he is in this particular portion, then let him be a new creature. Old things are passed away. They're not in the process of passing away. They already are passed away. See, the work is done. Everything is complete. We're complete in him in Colossians 2.10, who in John 19 and verse 30 finished the work. So they're passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation to see, to understand that God was in Christ reconciling, potentially reconciling the whole mass of humanity, made it available because God himself had to first be propitiated in Genesis 22 and verse 8. He himself had to be propitiated. But now that he is, Whoever receives them will not have imputed or put to their account their trespasses, but has committed unto us, those that have uh, had our sins dealt with and the old man crucified in Romans 6, 1 through 6, we, he's given unto us the word, the whole word of what? Reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us, through us, as a testimony and a witness, we, be, we beseech you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. That's why you go out and you win souls. You go out to win souls. For he made him to be the sin sacrifice for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we see that word reconciliation here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. We read it in Hebrews 2.17, but there's a difference. There's a difference. And then we come to Colossians. We come to Colossians again. I'll read this verse. Be nice if they put Colossians where it belonged. After Ephesians and not with Philippians in between. <laughs> okay, and here it is. This is Colossians one. 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him Christ should all fullness dwell. And having made peace, right? And having made peace through, past tense, having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile, again, there it is, reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So that takes care of everything. The reconciliation, he reconciled everything. And then also look what it says. And you, each of us, 
that are in Christ that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he what? Reconciled. In the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if you continue in the faith. That's not a works program. That's a constant submitting in our experience to the reality of who we are and our position in Christ. It's not works. It's just simply Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, being accomplished in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with a, with a reverence and trembling, for it is God which works in you, with your will submitted to him, both to will and to do, receive, the doing of what he did, of his good pleasure, which was only that pleasure that was in Christ himself. And now he's pleased with us because we're in him, not based upon what we did, but the pleasure that Christ is in our stead to, to the Father. So we see that again here, again here. And then we go to Romans, the fifth chapter, and we'll go to Romans chapter 5. And this is the beauty, this is the beauty of these recordings too, because if you, we miss something or we don't have something, we can go over it, all of us, and go over it again, and God can take the time that we need necessarily. But again, that never replaces as much as we can uh, face-to-face preaching when God makes it available to us and when he knows that we're available without any works or condemnation at all. So here we are in Romans, the fifth chapter. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says this. For if, and you can read the first nine verses, which are incredible. For if, when we were enemies, in this context, if and we were, but we're not any longer. (laughs) For if, when we were, notice that, that's past tense, were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled. Notice, we are reconciled. Being reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God. See, there's that joy in his presence. Joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom, through whom and by whom alone we have now received the reconciliation. So will you see atonement in any other translation? It's reconciliation. We have that reconciliation. Okay, then... We're going to read also some beautiful portions here in the Word of God. We'll, we'll get into them um, at, a, at a later time but so that we can get on with the content of, this, of the uh, Word and the counsel that God has for us this morning. So, here we have reconciliation. Now, that word reconciliation that is used in Hebrews 2 and verse 17, that word there, is this, it's, it's making propitiation. It's something that he did. He did it. And that is the Greek word helisgeste. And then it's, it's literally from the form of helesmos, okay? And we can spell those out for you. It's H-I-L-A-S-K-E-S-T-H-A-I. And that is the beautiful word helis Kesthe, and then helasmos. That word helasmos 
is H-I-L-A-S-M-O-S, halasmos. And this is where we read this. This is where this word of reconciliation has been brought out to us. And we can see that in 1 John 2. We'll see it there in 1 John 2, especially in the second 2, 1 and 2. Uh, 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, notice the context is those that are in Christ, uh, we are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus in Galatians 3 and verse 26. That's my little children. These things write I unto you that you sin not. We don't have to sin, we choose to. We've taught before and have been taught that sin is in the will. We make a choice and we choose to. We don't have to, we do. And that's why love is in the will. We can choose to love. One is disobedience, the other is the obedience. One is his love not returned, the other is his love returned, and thereby we have fellowship. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the, right, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation. He is the halasmos. He is the halasmos, the propitiation for our sins. All those that receive Christ, not those that die in their sins in John 8, 21 and 24, because they didn't receive Christ. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. That's the potential. That's 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19. God was in Christ, giving the potential for those to receive him as their Savior, as the, the propitiation, so that their personal sins would be dealt with. We can see that very clearly in the scriptures. It's very important to understand these things. And so he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for, and in my King James, it's italicized the sins of it. It doesn't belong there. It's not even in there in the original. It's for the whole world. That is halasmos. That is halasmos in that particular place. So reconciliation there. Reconciliation... And it's termed where the Koine Greek took, took the Greek, the Koine is the Holy Spirit who took a certain word that the Greeks would use and brought it up into the height about what Christ has accomplished. And it's very amazing when we see it. Because the way the Greeks would use it is that, to, that would be the money changing. Is that that would make the sum even? You owe me this? You pay me, we're even. Money, there's exchange. I do this for you, you give me this, we're even. Money exchanging. But the Koine Greek through the Holy Spirit, the Koine Greek, which uh, the original was the Attic Greek or the Classic Greek, the Koine, the Holy Spirit took it and brought it up into a higher height to bring out this, that now for us in Christ, it goes into the satisfaction of the parties that have to do with that particular transaction. So, you owe me this, you pay me, things are even now. But also for us to understand this reconciliation here, it's passed into this. It means to make all smooth. Everything is smooth again between those two parties. One party was alienated. That was us prior to receiving Christ. That's what that is. We were alienated, okay? We were alienated. 
Alienation had to do with fallen man, had nothing to do with God. We'll see that very clearly. And so, to make all things smooth, reconciliation, between alienated parties and reconciling the one who's alienated or at enmity. Now, let's stop for a second. Remember, we were alienated prior to receiving Christ as our Savior, just like the whole world system is apart from Christ. They are alienated. What is the word alienated? Here's the word alienated. It's apalotruo. It's A-P-L-L-T. A-P-A-L-L-O-T-R-I-O-O. And it literally means this, to estrange away, listen to what it means, to be a non-participator with God through Christ. That's what it means. So he keeps the unsaved out, and then the Christian, he, he gets them involved in all kinds of other things so they don't participate in the reality of God's glory fulfilled in them by Christ being in them, and so he gets, them, he gets their appetite, Christians, he gets their appetites going after all kinds of other things. All kinds of other things take precedence over, literally, the right and authority and privilege, John 1, 12. But to them that received him, he gave the right, the power, the authority to become the sons of God, to be a participator with God in everything. What an amazing thing. I mean, he could have just saved this and said, okay, now that's it. No, he, he wants us. He wants to participate with us and us with him. But again, to, that word alienated means to, to estrange away, to be a non-participator. This is what it says in the 1828 dictionary. To withdraw as to the affections. Get our mind on other things. These, the, the lie that if I do this thing, I'll feel better. Better than what? Participating with his presence? <laughs> That's true joy. No such thing as joy outside of his presence. We see that in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. To withdraw us to the affections. To make indifferent. Where love or friendship before subsisted. All to apply to a wrong use. You hear that? The enemy doesn't want us to participate in the presence of God. He wants us to participate in other things. Why? Because he wants to abuse us and use us for a wrong thing. Because he knows how much God loves us. And it cost him his very son to win us so that we could participate in his love for us. You know how he hates, hates people to receive Christ and hates believers to actually function in him. And there's where all the bad teaching, no teaching, wrong teaching, all kinds of things come in. And then the Christian, they get him occupied with every other thing under the sun rather than be a participator through the word and through, through growing in grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3.18 and through participating in their true life in a true local assembly. Again, so all they end up doing, the enemy wants Christians to just subsist. Well... I'm in the world. I'm going to live like the world. I'm on my way to heaven, but that's all I care about. Can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that. Nah, I don't care about it. Yeah, you just want to subsist. Here's what the word subsist means. To stand in a fixed state and to continue there. It's to have an existence and to be maintained 
in that existence, if it's, a, if it's not his presence, is it the world? Is it the enemy? To be maintained, to have existence by means of something else other than God through Christ. So replace it. I'll have more joy by doing this thing, going there, buying this, getting this thing, doing I'll have more, more joy than participating in his presence. <laughs> Boy, you talk about a lie. Thank God. Thank God for the truth about what we have here. So that's, who, that's what the state that we were in. We're no longer in that, by the way. We don't have to pray to be reconciled. We're already reconciled who were once alienated. Then also, we, we were at enmity. That's Romans 8, verse 7. The flesh is enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God. The law of God is Romans 8, 2, and 3, being in Christ. Neither indeed can be. So we at one time were what? We, we, we functioned in enmity. Listen to this word. That word is ekthra. E-C-H-T. H-R-A, ekthra. And this is what that word means. It's a feminine form of the Greek word ekthros. Everything else the same except the O-S at the end. Ekthros. This is what it means to hate as an adversary and as an enemy of God himself. It speaks of intense hostility that can never be done away with. It's been done away with us in Christ. But boy, you want to know where this hatred or anger that's not of God, where, where it comes from in a believer's life? You want to know where it comes from? There it is. There it is. He gets us occupied with other things so that we just subsist as an enemy, a non-participator, a non-participator. But, but for us, thank God, not only has he given us a change of mind from that enmity through Christ? He's, he's done that. And included in the, in the fact that we have been reconciled is the fact that it's justification. But reconciliation is not justification. Okay? It's not that. Okay? What is, what is reconciliation then? And we're going to see the difference in those words where we read it in Hebrews 2, uh, 17 and on, in 1 John 2, 2 and those other verses that, uh, that go into a completely different meaning, but it's based upon what Christ has done. Here's, here's what it means, reconciliation. It is the bringing back to unity, to peace. Remember how we've been sharing about peace? There isn't any without reconciliation. It's the bringing back to unity, to peace, and fellowship. You see what that is? It all has to do with Christ. That's why we say, what is fellowship? It's believers functioning together around Christ and Him alone. Not another thing. Not another thing. But it's the bringing back to unity and peace and fellowship. What was, in past tense, divided and alienated. See, if the enemy can come into the Christian and get their attention and divide them away from things, that's why it says in 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And maybe the things that are in the world aren't bad of themselves, but if the enemy can use them to divide us 
and to get us from and to stop us from participating in his presence if he can do that and he he can alienate us so that we just live just like the world subsisting everything doesn't make any sense anymore why is this happening to me why is that furthermore again he's faithful to us to show us these things we know that now He doesn't want us. God this morning wants to teach us and give us clarity about these things because there can be a lot of confusion in bad teaching or if you don't have teaching. There can be a lot of that that enters into the difference between, we read it in Hebrews 2.17, between the fact of Christ making reconciliation for our sins in Hebrews 2.17, with the fact that we have reconciliation. And you don't know the difference. That's where all these other isms come in. Lordship, salvation, go back to covenant theology, all this other works begin to come in. Because you don't know, and we haven't, and we, and you, we wouldn't know the difference between that. Preciseness. Word of God is very precise. That's why in Hebrews 4.12, it's very precise in dividing the soul, soul interpretation of the scriptures from the spirit in Hebrews 4.12. There has to be that. But in John 3.30, he must increase. But for that to happen, I must decrease. And so here, there's a difference with the fact that we have that reconciliation, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5.18 and Colossians chapter 1 and verse 22 and in Romans 5.10 and 11. Because where it says in Hebrews 2.17, making propitiation, and it's brought out as atonement, and it's not a proper word in the original, it's, it, there's reconciliation. And, and what? Making reconciliation there is those words, halasmos, and the other word we mentioned, that is propitiation. That is reconciliation. But that's something that he made. He made it. We don't make it. We receive it as a, as part of who, as a huge thing about what we have in Christ. So we see that with, with reconciliation here in 2 Corinthians 5, 18, which is this Greek word, katalage. Katalage. K-A-T-A. We see that. A-L-L-A-G-E, long E. Katalage. And that is, that is that word that's brought out again in Romans 5, 11. And it's beautiful the way that it is being brought out. Now listen, we have been reconciled. We, it didn't have a thing to do with us. Because the Father was propitiated in Genesis 22 and verse 8. He was propitiated. Then we have a substitute, whoever will receive him, thereby being reconciled. So that propitiation is the fact that now you and I is born again. We can go out and give people, tell them, listen, you can receive Christ. And when you do, you receive the fact that he paid for your sins. Until you do, if you don't have him and you die, you die in your sins in John 8, 21 and 24. You don't die in them because you refuse the payment. Bad teaching. Bad teaching. Whether ignorant or not, bad teaching. And so again, here, as it's brought out, here, again, it's this, what we have in that word, it's katalage. We have been 
We enter into experientially reconciliation when we submit our will to him because that's our position in Christ. Now, here's another verse, and I want to bring this out. This is in 1 Corinthians uh, 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and it's brought out in the marital relationship. Now, listen to what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 11. Okay. Hmm. That's very interesting. In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 7, verse 10, it says, And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let the, let the wife, let not the wife depart from her husband, but if, but, and if she departs, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. To be reconciled, and let not the husband put away his wife. So again, even in this place of reconciliation, even in marriage, when there are issues, and boy, those will be brought out in spiritual warfare. You can be assured of that. You enter into marriage, you enter into the most intimate relationship, you will be a target for the enemy because of the height of your position in Christ. And so what, the same, what that word means, it goes back to that word reconciliation. It's money changing. Okay, it goes into that, but it goes into making things smooth. But it wasn't what we paid, what we did that made it to be that, to make it smooth again in relationship. So who smooths and makes things right? Who's, who does the doing? We do the receiving because he did the doing. And I just want to make it crystal clear to us, to all of us. Let her be reconciled to her husband. Because where it is not merely her mind being restored to affection and good feelings. Not only that, but matters made straight between them, the relationship made good. Who paid it for the wife? Who paid it for the husband? One has an issue, then what? We make things straight. Because we are reconciled. Because we are. And so that's what that goes into. So it is between God and us. But the alienation was on our part. It was never alienation on God's part, but righteous judgment against sin in those that were his creatures. That's what it was. And that righteousness must be met in order, right? 1 Corinthians 14, 40, God does all things decently, openly, transparently, and in what? In order, and who is God's order? But Christ. That righteousness must be met in order to bring back the alienated, non-participating creature into relationship with God. Now when we fail, us in Christ, now that we have been made reconciled, Hebrews 2, 17 and 1 John 2, verse 2, to experience that reconciliation, what happens? Well, 1 John 1, 9, if we sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, and bring us back based upon what we've already been made, but be brought back in our experience, reconciled, smooth. Things are smooth. They already are on God's side. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, he's waiting to be gracious. We never have to pray, oh God, be reconciled. We need to be in our experience, but it's based upon what we already have and are in Christ. We didn't make ourselves anything, did we? We can do anything in any relationship 
that God has endowed with through Christ, realized with a submitted will by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's done it all. And so we, he has brought us back into a proper relationship with Christ. And when we sin, we begin to be, as believers in Christ, we begin to be alienated, non-participators. That he brings us back, like he brought the, the prodigal, he, he was bringing the prodigal back to himself to understand, wait a minute, oh. And all he was, he was confessing his sin. He was confessing it. Receiving the forgiveness that was his in Christ in Ephesians 4, verse 32, and Colossians 3 and verse 13, to bring him back to a smooth and right place because everything's been met. The payment's been met in our position. He has to constantly bring us to a place of growth and grace and truth to experience it. All of us. So he brings us back into a relationship with God. Who does it? Who does it between the wife and the husband? Born again, wife and the husband. Who does it? Who smooths it over? Who does it? Christ it. What's it based on? What's already been done? I don't have to try and do anything. I don't have to try to do something. Bad teaching. Lordship salvation. Going back to old covenant theology again. Going back again. And if you don't go forward, is there such a thing as neutrality in, in, in spiritual issues with a believer? No, you either go forward or you go back. It's a picture of the Israelites. When things weren't going the way they wanted them, they wanted to go back. Instead of going forward. It's very interesting. Out of that first generation of all that over 2.4 million Jews, out of that first generation, two of the original, there were many more, but out of that first generation, there were two that entered into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb. See that in Numbers uh, 10 and Numbers through the 13th. You can see it in Numbers 13th chapter. You can see it. They both went there. They, they both entered into the promised land. Both of them. Right? Two of them. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that funny? Kind of interesting when Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. It's Christ and him only between the two. Did you know that's what we have in common? We don't go to the world, our unsaved people, to try and have joy and try and be one with them. We minister to them, that it doesn't mean we get anything back. But to have fellowship, we need to be in a local assembly, our true friends and our true family. And then out of that, when I have fellowship, then God and I must be sent to go to others. And if I'm not, I shouldn't. But if, I, if God sends me, it's because I have fellowship protecting me and I can minister to them without being drawn away from them into the same things that I once was or that they are right now. And use that as an excuse to win them <laughs> like we're doing it so we need teaching so precise i just just going over it this morning god we just need to have the preciseness of god in this relationship that he's given us but only now for us is it much more you get into romans the fifth chapter the much more chapter of much more in the bible is romans the fifth chapter but much more than bringing back because of the purposes of God in Christ and the infinite value because, because of that, that infinite value of that work, 
by which we're brought back to God. He wants to establish again in our experience a blessed and peaceful relationship with God and us in it. Oh, boy. What happens when a husband and wife has a, have an issue? One has the issue, one doesn't. Can one still function and have peace? Absolutely. Husband is a proper head in 2 Corinthians uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, and the wife, when and the husband doesn't function in proper headship, she enters into 1 Peter, the third chapter. Christ will be her head until that husband gets back to a proper place of, of, in God's order and headship, and that has to do with a proper relationship based upon reconciliation. So, reconciling God to us is the most unscriptural truth the, a lie, I should say. It's the most unscriptural lie in expression and in thought. You wouldn't believe the works programs that go out in Christians, thinking that they have to do something. No, no act of dealing. In other words, nothing that we could do could change God's mind. What does that mean? What could change God's mind? What could change God's mind, either in his nature or his purpose? Is God's purpose the equal of his nature? Then can he change? Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should ever change his mind. Has he not said, will he not do it? Has he not spoken, and will he not bring it to pass? Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord your God, I change not. James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no valuableness, neither shadow of turning. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And do we, positioned in Christ, have, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, the mind of Christ? But do we let it be in us, in Philippians 2, 5? Or do we have a reputation in the flesh to protect in Philippians 2, verse 7, like he never had, like our Savior never had. And so it's completely unscriptural. Nothing could change his mind because God acts freely in what is before him according to that nature. What does that mean? Does God ever remove his eye from us in Christ the righteous? In, in Job 36, verse 7? No. He never removes us. We've been reconciled. But, when, but in the flesh, we can be alienated. We cannot participate in him. Little attitudes of the flesh and, you know, all these fleshy things, you know, the rebellion. Sometimes in the flesh, we're so proud about our pride and our stubbornness. That's who we are. <laughs> hmm. Like that's a badge. <laughs> Whoopee. And to think that's some form of a sacrifice. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, God, God snubs his nose at that kind of stuff. He could have nothing to do with it. He requires obedience and not fleshly, carnal sacrifice to appear like, uh, you know, like I'm something that I'm not in my experience. I might be in my position, but not in, I, my experience could even be as a believer in Christ. could be rebellion and stubbornness. And in those places, am I a participator? In his presence. No. I'm a non-participator. I'm, I'm an alienated. And when I function as one who's alienated, I function as an enemy of God. Bible makes it clear. 
Romans 8, 7. But thank God that is not how God sees us. And it's how, not how he treats us. He never removes his eye from the righteous. But God acts freely in what is, what is before him in that nature. And whose nature do we have now in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17? No, no man after the flesh. All old things are passed away. They're not in the process of passing away. Something, some are taught they need to help God do that when it's already done. And get busy looking at others when they completely miss themselves. Well, again, we're going to wrap it up here. But again, here it is. It has to do, God has to do with his nature and his authority. Nothing supersedes that. He's sovereign and above all. But also his holiness, too, is involved in this reconciliation. Again, this is what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is the full establishment in relationship with God according to his nature. That's why in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love, who God is in 1 John 4, 8, and 16, never fails. Never. There's all the forgiveness we want and need in his love. But do I give myself over or do I act alienated as an enemy even about his forgiveness for someone else? Well, reconciliation is the full establishment in relationship with God according to his nature and according to the nature of that which is reconciled. That's us in Christ. That's what Psalm 11 verse 7 says. The righteous Lord loves righteousness. And Christ in 1 Corinthians 1.30 is our righteousness. We've been made that. But now I, in our position, but now in my experience, when I function in sin, alienated and live in sin, I have to be brought back to a place in my experience where things are made right, smooth. We could never afford it. Read Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Come you without money and buy without price. Why spend your money on something else that doesn't avail of anything? That's the bad teaching, no teaching legalistic teaching, fleshly, self-glorifying teaching has nothing to do with a proper relationship. That has to do with religion. God is not religion. He's not the God of religion. He's the God of relationship through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So now we, what do we function in? Redemption and a new nature about everything about us. We're in the world, but we're not of it. We don't do things like unsaved people do. We don't. We just don't anymore. We don't go back to that, that, that God took us out of. We don't even have to ask, is this right or is that right? Should I do this or should I do that? Well, is it like the world? Then what is the answer? And the answer is 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 17. Come out from among them. Come out from among them and, and, can, and walk in the reconciliation that's yours in Christ. So it, it is this. Everything is new. That's what Jesus was saying. He made clear in 21.5 of Revelations. This is a true and faithful sta statement. He makes all things new. And he's making them new in the sense of our growth about what, and being reconciled more and more in the increase that we have based upon the position that we already are in Christ. He made reconciliation for us. Now he's working it into our experience. Made it in Hebrews 2.17. Now he's bringing it in Romans 5.10 and 11. 
And we need to know the difference there. So we wrap it up this morning. It is to be reestablished in as much as the old relationship was broken and forfeited. That's what we had in Adam. But it is now, but it is not returning to that. Oh, try and convince Christians of that. You don't go forward. You don't want truth. You don't hunger. You're only going to go back to that old relationship in your experience and then wonder why you're not being received, loved. (laughs) Oh, boy. No, but it's the establishing a new one, listen, which has the stability of redemption and is the accomplishment of the very purpose of God. All things work together for the good, the good, to, to them that love God and are called according to what? His purpose. And what, what was his purpose? It was to propitiate the Father first in Genesis 22 and verse 8, thereby us now being reconciled because Christ is our substitute. He comes in between us and what we deserved. Took it all, dealt with it all. Now the substitute is who we are. Now God and us have been reconciled because he's been propitiated. Substitute side of God the Father and God the Son, him only, took away the sin of the whole world on the cross in John 1, which will be brought out fully by the time we get to Revelations, the 20th chapter. It's done in terms of its characteristic, but it's being worked out in the plan of God in time in a very, very beautiful way. So, again, we're going to close this out. Again, we're, just, we're, we're hardly even touching this, uh, and we're going to get into these things on Monday, on Tuesday, on Thursday, and on Friday for whosoever will. And if you can't make it, we'll put them on the website so you do not have to miss gaps of teaching, that God, of, the, of his counsel that he has for us. And it's a wonderful thing that we have we have been brought back in a, in, in a proper position in Christ to God's divine favor, that that we lost and couldn't do a thing about, but Christ did. That reconciliation, as we close, is twofold. It's of the state of everything. God has reconciled everything throughout all eternity. But he's reconciled us in the most intimate way, in a height that throughout all eternity will be with him in intimacy. So, Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for these things. Thank you that as we get into, we won't have to meddle with change. Something we want to get into this morning, we don't have time, but we'll do it in Proverbs 24, verse 21. We don't have to be alienated any longer. It's, thank you, God. It's never, never a question of changing our attitude, but the fact that we've already been reconciled because, because the very cause was God's purpose that to show in the ages to come his kindness towards us in Christ. We've been elevated in, Hebrew, in, in Ephesians 2.6, seated with him in heavenly places, that throughout all eternity, upon age, upon age, upon age, you will continually... Not just show to us, but to all created beings your kindness in us that was manifested in Christ towards us in Ephesians 2.7. Thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.